Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey everyone, Katie and I just wanted to pop on here quick and first off just say thank you so much for supporting us and listening to us. If you're listening on Spotify, please make sure that you're following us. You can do that by going to our show page and hitting the green follow button. That way our new episodes will always show up on your homepage so you never miss a new episode. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please make sure that you're subscribed over there and while you're there, leave us a rating and review. And you can also check out all of our episodes on our YouTube channel and you can also catch our exclusive video only pre show there. Make sure that you're subscribed to that channel and that you hit the notification bell so you get notified whenever new episodes go up every single week. Thank you guys again so much for supporting Popcorn Chats and Katie and I. We appreciate each and every one of you more than you know. Buckle up because it's gonna be (laughs) a long ride. It's gonna be a wild ride. (laughs) No one cares but we're gonna tell you anyways. This is Popcorn Chat. Welcome to the episode. This week, we are having two very special guests. The first time ever on Popcorn Chats, where we have two guests at one time. We're so excited to have them on. They are the creators of the hit film, The Promise of the Butterfly, which is available on Amazon Prime. If you haven't watched it, go watch it right now before you listen to the episode or while you're listening to the episode after whatever. But you need to watch this film because it's incredible and these two lovely people we have met one of them before because we're in a book club if y'all don't know Mikhail and I are in a fun I think little we've book- talked about the book club a couple yeah, times we've, on we've here, given maybe. them a shout out here mm-hmm. and there but um we got connected to the writer of this film through our book club and now we are meeting the director of this film for the very first time live on the pod it's gonna be a journey it's gonna be fun we're both anxious girlies of course y'all know this so <laughs> We're a little scared, but it's, it's a been a day for both of us. Like Katie oh. and I both were texted earlier on in the day and we're just like, this has just been, it's been a Friday guys. And then yeah. of course, a couple days before we're recording this, HBO announces that they're releasing Euphoria early. So so this episode is actually coming out a little bit later than we thought because thank you HBO for constantly messing up our schedule. These are also like the first filmmakers we've ever had on the podcast. So it's really exciting to get a different perspective it's not just like somebody's reaction to a film which is obviously great but we're gonna be like interviewing real filmmakers so mm-hmm. different and we're evolving as a pod and we're excited I really hope you guys are listening and not watching this episode because I do not look good right now it's fine Michaela looks great so just tune in for that um I never <laughs> look good when we record this is like the first time I think I'm not wearing like a sweatshirt and glasses and no makeup all right call me out like that <laughs> oh my god I didn't realize it was described your whole outfit oh Katie, I'm sorry you're still it's beautiful fine. and I mean it's a podcast you're supposed to listen anyways you're not supposed to look I was already ready from work today okay guys so without further ado please welcome to the pod Andrew Tamarkin and Meredith Kirkman <laughs> All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Popcorn Chats. I'm McKay. 
And I'm Katie. And today we are joined by our two guests. If you guys both want to introduce yourselves as well. Hi, I'm Meredith Kirkman. I'm very happy to be here. I am Andrew Tamarkin. Very happy to be here as well. Awesome. We're so excited. (laughs) This is the first time that we've had guests that, like we said, no shade to Delaney or Olivia, but like we actually have like people in the film industry on the pod, which is very exciting for both Katie and I. So we're excited to jump in. First, just kind of to like kick us off everyone so one of the things in the film is Doran is like big into what the meaning of his name is and did you both when you were making this film did you guys like look up what your names meant that's a funny question I I knew actually what my name meant Meredith means king of the sea so it was my excuse uh you know not to eat fish when I was a little girl because I was like I'm not gonna eat my friends (laughs) but uh yeah and I've always really connected to mermaids and stuff even beyond that I was really named after my grandmother Edith and she always wanted to be Meredith and she um, was Edith Kirkman and Kirkman is actually my middle name and so professionally I've been going by it for like four or five years now and it's truly in such an honor after her Uh, she passed too early and my mom immediately was like let's have a child to my dad and uh, yeah I was conceived within the year and so I actually really feel like her spirit is kind of part of me and I feel like I have a extra energy to offer in my life and I think it's because of her my name is very special actually so thank you for starting That's off with so such cool. a great question yeah that's awesome I think names are just really really important names are really important to my family and I just feel like it's the first way that we introduce ourselves and I think when naming characters the meaning of name of the name is really important kind of like Meredith um I'm not actually quite sure what Andrew means in Hebrew my name is Anan which means cloud and I was named after my grandmother as well um her name was Anna and I was the first grandchild born in the family after her death and so I always felt as if she was sort of my guardian angel and I felt connected to her because we shared a name of sorts or at least the root of a name. And so I guess long story short, in naming Doran and talking about the meaning of that name, I thought it could kind of give a like a subplot to what the story was about. Yeah, totally. Oh, you also so have cool. to say your full name in Russian, Andrew, please. <laughs> in Russian, my name is yeah. Andrei Alexandrovich Tomakin. So cool. Oh, right. I mean, it sounds cool in English even still, but uh, Russian definitely makes it sound pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Katie, do you know what your name means? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> so I looked, I looked yours up and Caitlin means pure. So I just thought that that was kind of Ooh. a nice nod to like childhood, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody used to call me Mother Teresa. Teresa back in the day because I was a pure little church girl but not so much anymore (laughs) Michaela what's yours I don't I wish I had something like cool who I was named after like I think that's just really sentimental that you guys were both named after grandmothers Um, my parents named me after Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman from the TV show like they just heard that name on it and thought it was cool nothing special and it means who is like God which, um, again, I think that's a little ironic. 
<laughs> yeah, we're both like holy, godly people, according to our names. <laughs> like Andrew said, like character names are a big thing. And I like it when people name characters something with a purpose. So I like that that was explored in the film with Doran's name. Yeah, I thought that was like a cool way of like showing one of the films like themes are without, you know, like telling if that makes sense. So you guys have a production company together called KT Productions. Is that correct? Or Kirkman to Markin film film productions, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Kirkman to Markin Productions. And it was launched in effort to produce The Promise of the Butterfly. We really wanted to set tone in the professional level from the beginning. Um, and that was one way we did it, like for people to take us seriously, because we were in school still and we were working with a bunch of our friends. We were friends, Andrew and I too. We wanted it to feel as professional and legit as possible. That was kind of the intent. We felt that it was like a great way as first-time filmmakers to create a platform from which to actually produce this film um, instead of just like Meredith and Andrew like producing a project let's text you and you need to be there it's like let's know let's actually create a company and an online office space so that way everything can get streamlined through a third party totally and i can't even imagine the organization to like get that started just from like the business side logistically trying to get that up and running that must have been a feat in itself before even getting to the filmmaking part of it and there were some things that did come after business things that really would have made sense in the very beginning but we we were fresh and we just didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into and right in the beginning it was going very fast paced because we were yeah we had timelines to just hit and so some things worked backwards in that way and some of like the, the true business lessons actually came at the very end which I think was the hardest thing for Andrew and I art comes naturally and we've been doing art for a while I think Meredith and I have like We've been lucky to have a lot of professional experiences in our lives before the promise of the butterfly and so we weren't coming at it without any knowledge like of the professional space the business space but we were artists first so i think we really learned by doing and we made mistakes for sure but i think we made there was like, I kept saying there was like, for, for there, were, there were 51 successes and 49 mistakes. Like there yeah. was always still one more good thing that happened. So the project kept, kept propelling forward. What was like the inspiration for writing this film? Like, was that just all you, Andrew, or was it like a joint sort of thing? Like you guys knew that you wanted to make this film? Like, I guess this is kind of a loaded question, but like, what was the inspiration behind the making of the art like you guys were talking about? And what was the process of like deciding to make this film? I think we developed the story together. We had known each other for over three or three or four years before we even started working in film together. And we had kind of talked about a few different storylines and we were just finishing up a documentary in December of 2017. And it was an amateur documentary that we had um, worked on for my senior thesis and it went really well. And so we, we submitted it um, and it was just the two of us working on it. And in the back of an Uber sometime at like midnight, we had like literally stayed up. No, it was the morning. It was the morning. Like, after not sleeping. So basically. Yeah, like 5 a.m. or something. We had been up all night and we were like, let's make a movie. Like, let's do the real like narrative film. Now that we can like put piece of documentary together, like let's do this. And when it came to like the actual writing of it, 
I think a coming of age story just made sense. It was our first film. I don't think we realized that we were going to start to take this seriously. I think this film sort of launched us in the directions of where our careers would go. And so it just made sense for it to be about someone who just discovers they're an artist because that's sort of where we were in our lives three years ago. And they tell you to write what you know. So that's that's why I think we, we picked something like that. Um, but I think Meredith can also speak to it being like a dance film and like utilizing like her experiences in Chicago, because I think the story really like ties a bow on how we, how our community and how we lived in Chicago for that time. Right. Well, similar to Write What You Know, it's Produce What Is Producible. So we knew that, I knew that I had dancers all around me because I was in a musical theater dance program. And that's honestly a choreographer's dream. <laughs> so I feel like I wanted to take advantage of that. And that was the first thing I, I actually truly did, um, other than helping develop the story early on, was I choreographed the main big dance number. That was like yeah. the first thing I did. And I think I was, I might've been even working on that as I was writing the script. I can't even remember, but yeah. And that was kind of a really special way to start out because that dance is kind of the like symbol of the whole story and like the heart's message of the film of just breaking free of like the conforming society and like what you should look like and to match, you know, what the way to do it and, you know, break free of that and show your color and be invincible. It was a nice way for me to kind of connect to like the message of the story through this choreography and be in my comfort zone of working in a dance studio with dancers. That's one of my greatest joys in life. And so I feel like I started off confident in that way. What I had not done is organize 17 to 20 shoots and direct scenes and figure out camera angles and shots. Like there was so many firsts in the actual direction of production. So it was nice to find my confidence uh, with the dancers. Yeah, we performed that at a showcase, which was also really fun and kind of a nice teaser to tell people that we're, you know, we're, we're up to something. I definitely want to dive more into the dance stuff later on because that was like one of my biggest takeaways. I really, I cannot dance, but I love watching dance. So when those numbers popped up, I was living for it. You guys kind of already talked a little bit about it, but do you guys want to each state like some of the different hats that you wore on the shoots of this and what you each were responsible for? Because when the credits were rolling, you your guys' names were like on everything almost. Uh, yeah, we definitely played a lot of roles. But, you know, back to the question you just asked, how you got inspired. I think one thing that did inspire Andrew and I to team up and collaborate is that we had a lot of opposing talents mm. in the artistic like leadership of projects. And so we were like, oh, I can do this. You can do that. I can do this. You can do that. Because we were not planning to have a production of over 100 people. Like right. we planned on a few. <laughs> we didn't even think we needed a budget. Like I'm telling you, we were so naive, <laughs> mm -hmm. just like ready to do it. And yeah, like uh, the posing talents played strength to us. So uh, I directed it and choreographed it and director of photography, executive editor, co-producer. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I um, wrote the film and co-produced it with Meredith and composed the score. And I was involved a little bit in like the production design as well. But I would say those were my three big, my three big roles. And you had a cameo. <laughs> yes, I was an extra as well. <laughs> people, 
like if they know us and we have like a group, they just adore that moment. Yeah. <laughs> like we got such a big laughter the first time we showed it. And I actually make a select cameo. If you watch it again, uh, it's super, super, uh, very not noticeable because it's a mistake. Um, <laughs> well, it's not a mistake, but yeah, you can see my reflection. Ooh. And two, then when the credits were rolling, I saw Dan's name in there. So then I said to Katie, I'm like, where was Dan at as an extra? And even Katie, you didn't notice where he was. That's my bad. Oh, he's in the, so in chapter five, they're at an art, at a cafe where the character of Jules and Doran are talking about kind of what's going on with Doran's life in that moment. And Dan Melcher is drinking a smoothie. Is he a milkshake behind them? Behind. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My ex-boyfriend was an extra in that scene too. (laughs) Julia Walls' mom is setting a portrait of Julia Walls in that scene as well. Wow. Lots of uh, book club shout outs in there. (laughs) How did you guys compartmentalize everything? Like, Like, it's hard for me to comprehend wearing the director of photography hat and the director hat at the same time. And like, how did you guys go about that? That was hard. (laughs) like I would not really want to go about it in the same way like I wouldn't want to wear as many hats um sometimes at the indie level it's not possible to really escape that and maybe we're even seeing that more now in COVID with production with smaller crew sets like I mean even in regular business people are wearing a lot of different hats just because of numbers and stuff so I think it's a good skill but um yeah there's downsides to it because I feel like there was a lot of moments in the direction that I couldn't really just like soak in and relax and like really be in it with with the actors because I was worried about a lot of things technically mm-hmm. and the cameras and you know working with my camera ops and so I think having like a like small set small groups helped because I think my mind can actually really do like a few things at once like I could think about the direction and the cameras and like still be feeling like I'm producing this thing and the choreographer so I don't know I feel like my um, roles were really naturally blended to just like where my skill set is but I can't wait to work with more filmmakers and like I think that's just when the true work comes to be working with these people that really know what they're doing and like I think I I'll feel like I'll be starting to blossom as a director more when I can collaborate with those key players yeah so I'm excited for that moment for sure totally I just want to say like it's a beautifully shot film it looks incredible I I can tell that you both in all the roles that you played like Andrew the score is beautiful and obviously like the story is beautiful and the direction is like crisp and good and the choreo is amazing like even though you were wearing all these hats and taking on all these like really large roles you clearly like gave your all in each one so I just that is so impressive to me and like you must have been exhausted like (laughs) I just don't even know how you did that but I mean kudos to the both of you I just like I can't even comprehend it like in my experience on film sets and everything thank you it it really did take a village like Meredith may have been able to somehow organize this beast of a project but like the people that showed up for this helped make it as special as it was. Like Hunter Day as Doran, Jordan O'Meish as B, 
Kuja Prakash Raj, Julie Medina, Anna Romer, Nasser Habash, all of our post-production designers, Julia Walls, our production manager. Like there were so many people who just like had this project's back and we didn't, it, we were doing it for the first time. So like, it's not like we could offer people really fancy paychecks or like anything of the sort, but we always had coffee. We always had food. We, we really try to empower people in their roles to make it their own and bring their own artistic spice to the project. Like That's the special thing about films is that it, it cannot be done alone. It does take a village. And so finding that collaboration and bond early on is, is good. And so I think that's why we prioritize like rehearsals at the beginning to try to create some kind of community. And like we did kind of call it like a, a collective of sorts of like the people that are stepping into this project. It was was really a community. At least that's how Andrew and I felt. And that kind of got us through. We got to do this for the community. It's not just, it wasn't just about us. A lot of people had gotten involved. And so yeah, production was definitely exhausting. Like I used the uh, analogy, like I felt soaking wet, like a hose. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was left soaking for, for months. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then kind of felt that again when we were starting to premiere it mm-hmm. and plan these events and go more external and premiere it at the festival. And, you know, that was also a very exhausting time. So it's it's very nice. I cannot believe we're at the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> How long did you guys shoot for? How long did that take? Six weeks. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. It was about like three to four shoots a week. And you guys shot in and around Chicago. Is that where all of it's done then? Yeah. So pre-production was January 2018 until mid-April 2018. Production was mid-April until the end of May. Then we we broke after that because as Meredith said, we were all kind of soaking wet with mm-hmm. what production did. So we broke for the summer, launched a new production post-production team and business team in September. We were in post-production from September 2018 until May 2019. Did private premieres and went on a small tour with the film in the summer of 2019, which included the Vail Film Festival, a Music Box debut in Chicago, a Twin Cities debut where I'm from, and then we were pretty much in the delivery phase for the next like year and a half. Oh, and in like, the Logan Logan Theater. Oh, in the Logan Theater in December of 2019. And then we got approved by Amazon Prime and its final release was December 30th, 2020. That's crazy. Like all of that time, just like blood, sweat and tears into this for like two years almost from pre-production to Amazon Prime approval. Or is it three, I think. Is that three? I'm a dumbass. The the last year, it really felt like two working years. And then this last year, like 2020, yeah, it was the slowest pace. We like to think the COVID for that. I mean, not think, but it was, it did play a part as it slowed everyone's life down. But again, like how we kind of started the discussion with some business going backwards. Like we had a lot to learn actually with like some other business stuff that we just, you know, weren't, you know, we didn't have at the top of our radar like managing the project. And so, yeah, I think distribution took a little bit longer than we expected, but we still did it. So it, it that definitely feels good. As I said, guys, earlier, the dance portions of this movie, I was just, I was all over. I loved every single minute of all of the sequences. One of my favorites was when Doran and B were in like her apartment in the gray sweatpants, like that one. 
that was just so good. So cool. So I just kind of wanted to know Meredith as being like a choreographer and then also like directing those scenes, like especially the giant sequence outside too. What was that like? And like the choice to bring it into this film and make it a part of the storytelling for the characters. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the compliment on the choreography. We knew that we wanted to kind of have like one of the main leads as a dancer. I think that was a concept even before we knew we were going to do a documentary together, Andrew and I were kind of talking about and especially a mute dancer. That leaves a lot of space in the script, in the story that's silent. And so that communication had to happen, whether it was through a journal between each other or dance because that's more in these worlds. And so, yeah, it was really exciting to kind of fill in what the lines would have been written as, but you know, I, that would intimidate me to write a script right now, but to write feelings and lines of dance is totally in my wheelhouse. So that was kind of cool, kind of my way to, to write into it. It was in combination, different choreography styles, like for the big group dance that took hours of me lying on my bed and picturing it and trying a few things. And it took a lot of hours um, and like layering. And then there were some forms where I would just direct the dancers movement either by putting on music and giving them emotions and kind of like inspiration for their movement. That dance in the apartment, I actually choreographed that on the spot, which is crazy because I just didn't have time. There was just things I couldn't get to. And so I was definitely anxious waking up that morning. I think everyone was, it was actually, everyone kind of woke up anxious and like tired and on edge and it was gray, but it was good because we were living the movie and that scene, we were supposed to feel a little anxious. And so I think that directly influenced the choreography, but it was cool. We were just in this space and like marked through and I just honestly choreographed it and we practiced a few times. And uh, I I guess I was choreographing it also in the thought of, of course, uh, directing, but also director photography. So I would think like, oh, if they're going to drop down, we could like peer through this middle island. And, you know, I was kind of just like organically directing it, which I love that kind of style. I know it's not always possible for every production, but um, I think really great art can be grown organically. (laughs) So uh, it was, it was, that was a really fun one. And we always had like music going on uh, during the shoots to kind of set the mood and set the tone because we knew a lot was going to be, you know, wiped out and rewritten into the music. So some dances I choreographed to a song and like definitely was a little attached to it, but we didn't have the rights to the song, so it would go away. And then the musicians would come in and uh, compose to the choreography that was to our Mm -hmm. picture lock. And, And that was also a really cool process to find myself attached to a song that I choreographed to and then have it pulled out in something like honestly more gorgeous to come out of it wow so was that the case with the like the big dance or was that the case with a lot Mm. of the dance okay the two dances that I got to keep the songs were Invincible um by Big Wild and then Hey Marseille the Grant Park scene okay Mm. so Andrew then in the script did you just leave out where you just like dance portion here and like kind of like what you wanted in there or is that kind of like between the two of you you kind of sat down and we're like Meredith I want to include dance in this and then like where can we kind of fit it in Uh, that's a good question in the script I would pretty much leave areas open called dance sequences and then I would maybe just have like a very short description about like 
what that dance could be. I think, for example, when, when Doran and B have the dance in the apartment, I'm pretty sure like that was written like Doran and B fight. Mm-hmm. He kind of named the dances, which is nice. Like the, the main group dance was called the society dance. So we had some terminology to share, like to refer to the dance sequences. Yeah, but there was just like space in the script. You know, we felt that in the inter- in the read-throughs early on. And the read-throughs were also so interesting because there was so much quiet time because B, you know, she doesn't respond. It, it really is actually such an important part of the story. The more, like, I think about it and watch it, like, her silence is, is like, the magic and, you know, really is why Doran can figure out his purpose. Yeah, I just kind of want to know more about directing an actor with no dialogue. And we we also know Jordan and she's awesome. Her voice in the film is so present. Like she doesn't seem like a character with no dialogue. And also it's interesting because she's a woman playing opposite a man who does speak, but his voice doesn't dominate hers. Like hers almost dominates him in a way, at least for me, like my reading of it. I just like, how did you go about directing an actor with no dialogue and how did you make sure that voice was present first of all it helped that jordan was one of my very best friends so we already had quite a good connection together i'm pretty connected to her soul and especially through her eyes i mean mm-hmm. there's a very famous quote that your your eyes are the pathway to your soul yep. <laughs> and so i feel like that was super true for b it was funny actually a fun fact behind jordan in this role well sad fact uh she had a some kind of um, vocal surgery. I, Andrew, I can't remember what for. Do you remember? I think she had something removed on her vocal cords. Or something. Yeah, there was something wrong with her vocal cord. And she actually couldn't speak for a week. Legit. Wow. And so maybe that's kind of where some inspiration just like naturally came. I'm not quite sure. But it was definitely a hoot to be either like texting or like writing back and forth in bed. Because she actually really went through that whole aerial moment of losing her voice. To be honest, it wasn't that hard. I, maybe because I direct dancers a lot and they're kind of mute. I mean, it's like, how do you present yourself gracefully or like strong? You know, it's, I think it just, it truly comes very naturally with my experience with directing dancers. So for that, I want to thank Andrew uh, for giving that first pairing of lead in it. Like the first movie that I directed, like it was super in my wheelhouse. I think I honestly would have been more intimidated with two actors Mm -hmm. uh, that are lead that I had to really create that chemistry back and forth with lines. Her role in Jordan's life is so important because all the other women in his life have a nagging sense of voice and a pestering sense of voice, you know, like a voice with a lot of like pressure and for him to experience not having that in a relationship with a woman, I think really gave him the quiet space to actually think Mm -hmm. and to actually speak out loud. And he starts, you can see throughout the film, he starts sharing more and more deeper thoughts, like when they're in the park and He's starting to talk about icons um, in history that inspire him and questioning life. Like, I feel like you can see the silence is doing him well. 
I think was like the biggest part of him finding his purpose. I think back to at the beginning of the film, Doran and Jules are talking up on a balcony and they're both like having separate conversations like on their own, but they're talking to, they're talking to each other, but they're more like talking at each other. And it's almost like Doran needs someone that he can kind of just, you know, get his side out. Obviously B is interactive with him and having those conversations, but he like almost needs to just be able to like spew things out. And she's kind of a good person for that. So true. I love the detail you guys are picking up. I just feel like Jules is the coworker that we all know and love. Like everyone at some point who has worked in some sort of like service industry or like minimum wage job has a coworker like Jules and we treasure them. Yeah. Thank God for Jules. Andrew, do you have anything to add to this B conversation and like how you went about writing her as a character? Like, was that more, I don't know. I guess this is all collaborative. So you guys crafted these characters together, but like, what was the writing process of that like for you? It it was very collaborative. I did put my faith in Meredith and in Jordan because I knew that like any sort of like direct, like directions written into the script, I kind of had a feeling that Jordan would be able to like put a level of emotion into that. And then Meredith would be able to capture that as her way of speaking. I guess I would say two things. I would say A, like really studying that communication without words, some of the most provocative moments on camera, some of the most important parts of stories are the moments that we don't hear dialogue out of those moments in between. And second of all, I also just thought it would be really interesting to write a character that has a disability writing one of the leading roles, especially like a beautiful leading female that Jordan O'Mage plays to have her so evidently not exactly perfect the way that we would expect that role to be, I think was something that I was thinking about while I was at least um, writing the script. We definitely toyed around too, like, does she know sign language? Because we were kind of getting caught up with like the practicalness of someone who is mute. So how do they communicate? There are different ways and sign language is one of them, but it it wasn't clicking. And I, and I feel like I'm under, understanding this right now. I think because like we were trying to go too practical with that approach because this movie is grounded in magical realism for sure. So that was the key for us, I think, not including like, okay, so how does she actually live her life and, and not speak to anyone? She has this incredible gift of dance and is a working professional on a company and, you know, has a beautiful relationship with another man without speaking so I think that was like one way to just like keep and honor the magical realism in the story like it's all supposed to feel out of a storybook even though it's grounded on the streets of Chicago and it's very real Mm -hmm. I really wanted this to be a story that feels almost like a little urban fairy tale yeah right and we honestly from early on and throughout creating this movie and up until the you know very end of post-production we really were toying around like is b real you know and there's even a line of where's b and the dancer is like who yeah because we wanted to kind of like hint like maybe she never was even existed you know she's just kind of this like figure um that could be easily taken away but you know i think at the end of the day she existed and was easily 
gone as as if she could have been a ghost it was at least fun to kind of play around in the creation of it when I tell you I gasped like on almost spit out my water I was like no freaking way and then they were like just kidding I was like those sneaky little people (laughs) because then I was thinking back I'm like when they got in the elevator after dance class I'm like there was an attendant in the elevator so like she wouldn't have had to press the button to like get in or on the floor and then I was thinking back I'm like did she walk through any doors like did she open anything I was like running back through everything any listeners of the pod know I don't know, a few months back, we did an entire episode dedicated to coming of age films because it's one of Katie's favorite. It's like my absolute favorite in like books and in movies and television. And so I kind of wanted to talk about, Andrew, you said like you write what you know. I mean, everyone kind of right now, like we're all around the same age. So this transition that Doran is going through, he's like, is he 21 in the film? Around there. Okay. In his early 20s, um, I think a lot of people our age can maybe relate to the conversations that he's having with his mom. I know Katie and I were both like, um, we literally just had a conversation with both of our parents that sounded exactly like that. And I just want to know like, why you chose to tell a coming of age story besides maybe just the fact that it's something that you know, like, and then the spin that you put on it, because it's a pretty standard story story when you break it down to like a coming of age formula but everyone has like a very different take on it because everyone has a very different experience so what was that like writing that thank you for like noticing those themes and it's honestly like very very, it's a compliment to hear that you've had these kinds of conversations I know I've had those kinds of conversations and I thought that like other people in my life were having those kinds of conversations so I felt me at 20 when I was writing this script and having about to graduate college I was like I think this is a real problem that our generation is facing right now like I think and it's it's really not like a big global problem or anything but it's like some it's a problem inside of all of us that like we feel as though there are all of these expectations that we have to like follow through with But suddenly in our lives, like we finish college or if you don't go to college, you finish high school and suddenly there isn't like a guidebook anymore. There isn't a place you have to be at 9am and a place that you have to be at night, but like you are kind of in control of your own life and no one gives us the time to figure out how we want to spend that. As much as it's a coming of age story for our generation, I think it's also like a response to this problem that we have when we're in our early 20s we don't really have this space and time to think about what we want you know like I I am an artist but I hope that this story resonates with people who aren't artists as well it's just sort of a tribute to the unknowing and how important the unknowing actually is part of the coming of age story is definitely like person I'm not going to use like child but like so in this certain certain situations someone in their early 20s and their parents and like the dynamic between Doran and his mom and his mom is kind of going through a similar thing with her like trying her cooking classes and then she's painting and she's trying to also figure out like what her purpose is after her kids have grown up because like parents not like all parents but like 
can devote their entire lives to ch- their children. And then once they're like grown up and out living their own lives, they're kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do now? So it's interesting to see the parallel between Doran's story and his mom, that while they're different ages, they're both having this very same experience and struggle. At the end of the day, we're always coming of age. There is never a point in our life where we're not coming of age. Mm -hmm. I think it just starts to happen when our brain starts to kind of, like, I, I even take that back. I even think since childhood. And so I think that, like, Doran is so caught up in his own journey right? Like he doesn't want a nine to five desk job. He doesn't want to get stuck in rush hour. He like can tell you everything he doesn't want, but he doesn't know what he does want. Mm -hmm. And his mother also doesn't know what she wants, Mm -hmm. but she's trying all these things that she thinks she should like, because Tammy on 411 says that's what she needs to do. Because they're scrapbooking now. (laughs) And so I think like in general, like maybe the person he's arguing with, his mother, like maybe they should have just sat down and had a real conversation about like what they're both interested in. People don't do that. People really don't like to reach out for help. And so we we put ourselves in these boxes and, and struggle through these like internal crises on our own. I don't think we should. Well, it was really a, such a beautiful thing to hear you reiterate. Adele's coming of age story too, because it's so true. Like we we say it's a coming of age, yes, for people our age, but it's also really incredible for, you know, the adults who watch this, who either can connect because they have a child like Doran, or yeah, they don't have kids anymore. And, and now they're struggling with a whole new coming of age. So it's just incredible you picked up on that as well. It's frustrating too, because it's like, why are we all going through this? Especially now with COVID and like as a society, we're all just like, something's not right. Like we're doing something wrong. Why are we all like unhappy? And I'm I'm not like speaking for like everybody's unhappy, but it just seems like nobody wants to... Like no one wants to live to work anymore, it seems like. And people are just kind of finally breaking out of this thing. But it's like, how do we break out of it? It just feels like we're all at this point where it's like, we don't want to do this anymore. But like no one's really talking about it in like a serious way. Like what Andrew just said, like if Adele and Doran just sat down and talked, because like when she said, what's the plan? I was like triggered by that. I was like, oh my God, I just can't like, because I'm literally asking myself that every day. Like my parents are kind of like, what's the plan? And I'm just like, I don't know. You'll see. It's a surprise. But it feels like so often in our world today, like what are you interested in and how can you commodify that? Like how can you turn that into an income? Whereas like, I like how the resolution of this film just feels like it's not an arrival at like uh, he has come of age and this is the end. It's just like a step in the right direction and like he's found what he loves, but not necessarily like his new job or like does that make sense? I guess what I'm Yeah, it's like finding confidence. Yeah. You know, I have confidence and belief in yourself. And he was confident enough to tell his mother, like, I like writing and I like poetry and I'm going to try to publish my own poems. We love a realistic ending here. I don't like it when it's tied up in a bow. And I really like that it wasn't all of a sudden like, oh, look, everything's figured out now all of a sudden. I like that it was left more open ended. 
uh, he comes home with those flowers and I think Adele's scrapbooking on the counter maybe. And he's like in a really good mood and he's like very excited and he just like feels optimistic. And then the second that she starts like kind of pressing him, just like asking him basic questions, just like, you know, what are you thinking about doing? Do you like the idea of moving and this and that? And he like immediately gets kind of defensive about it. And he's like, well, now you just ruined my mood. I felt too. I'm like that. I can't like how Katie said she was triggered by the other line. I was triggered by that because I know sometimes my parents will just be like, I'm just trying to ask you a question about like what you like. And you immediately kind of get defensive or like, I know I immediately kind of get defensive because I feel like as a creative person, it's not like necessarily the vibe that they're looking for. So I immediately try to like defend it before just explaining it. And it was really nice to then see like them have that argument, but then later on both be able to sit down and flush it out a bit and him feel comfortable to be able to be like, I just want to try to write. And that's what I'm going to do. That was why it was really important for me that the final scene of dialogue was between Doran and his mother. Because, I mean, I feel like there were so many options with like how to, well, the final scene is with him and Nasser, the cigar man. The full really fleshed out dialogue is between Adele and Doran. And I think that like, it's kind of like the conversation that could have happened from the start. They just kept on like triggering each other in different ways, which mm-hmm. is so easy to do with your mother mm-hmm. because she's the one who's been with you your whole life. Mm-hmm. But it's like, they kind of sit down, chat. Kind of at the end of Call Me By Your Name, how Elio and his father have this like huge dialogue that kind of just like encapsulates the mood of the, of the story another realistic ending where it does not end happy that I love I mean it's sad but that fireplace moment oh don't even bring it up but yeah I just love the realistic qualities of this I think I'm just in a season of my own life where I could really relate to Doran and this feeling of like hurry up and figure out what you're doing what is your path like define yourself now but also like not wanting to do that prematurely and become like going down a path that you halfway down realize you don't want anymore or like rushing into something that you don't actually like I just think I can personally relate to it and I think a lot of people can relate to it it's we're not allowed to just be and like kind of test things out we're from such a young age like everybody asks us what we want to be when we grow up and like we're constantly being told to define ourselves like throughout our lives and at some point it gets to be serious like when you decide what you want to study in college and like okay you've been saying all your life like what you like and who you are but now it's like really definitively choosing And there's different moments for different people, like whether or not you go to college or whatever. But I don't know. I just like the way that this film shows one person struggle with it, but it's so relatable, even if you're not an artist or not a writer. Julie Medina, the mother, she even kind of opened up. She's like, I've tried so many things throughout my life. Like she kind of was kind of vulnerable with like all the different careers that she's bounced to. Mm -hmm. And she was actually just getting into acting um, when we met her and we had an audition with her through backstage and she's still on the acting game. I'm on Facebook and I'm like, I just keep seeing her like just got cast in the commercial. And so she's totally like still trying to pursue acting, which warms my heart so much because Mm -hmm. she didn't have too much experience early on 
but knew she had an interest. And I would say the same thing. I mean, for Andrew and I, but I'll speak for myself. Like I didn't really know I wanted to make movies. And and now I still find myself pursuing that in this path. And I, I almost fear, like, I'm like, oh, I hope I don't like, there, there's still a fear of like, okay, I found it. I hope it happens. Or like, yeah. I hope that I don't burn out or I hope I am good enough. You know, like I still have some like doubts in, in the new path, even though I'm recognizing an in, in interest and passion. So I think it's just, it's, it's a scary thing following your dreams and doing what you want. It's not that scary to, you know, go and stamp your thing and clock in, clock out to something that you're not passionate about. That's, there's no fear in that. Right. So it does take courage. Just wow, y'all. Where are we even yeah. at? Michaela, of course we deviated. And now yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be us if we followed yeah. our plans. Andrew, you kind of talked about music a little bit earlier in the score. Katie, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I guess I'm just so thrown because I assumed wrongfully that I guess I just had a wrong assumption about the music acquisition process of this whole thing. Andrew, you composed this film and scored this film, but then there's also like bands and musical artists who you guys got the rights to their songs. I love the music in this. It's so good and so fitting. So yeah, if you guys both want to talk or Andrew about your composition and everything, the process of all of that. When we were in post-production and film got edited and stringed together and it was ready for for music like the, the Meredith kind of turned to me and suggested that I compose a score for the film and I was definitely very nervous at first it's funny my first real interest in life was the piano I started playing piano when I was five and actually like the thing that I did while mm-hmm. I was like in elementary school and middle school and I had to stop for medical reasons but regardless I like kept playing and so I was really really excited to like jump back behind the piano and compose and I was so lucky to have the honor of working with Todd Allworm and Isaiah Sanderman and John Golden and Clarice Taylor and it was a team of us five. We met in my living room three days a week for a month and we watched the film with no music and we composed it together. I had created some themes. I had worked with a dear friend, Molly Coleman, and with Meredith too, just about like where we wanted the musical story to go. Having written it, it really felt like this was like a chance for me to write this film again to kind of come in now and like write in like this new musical story. It was really, it was a really cool process. The musicians and I went from my living room into a studio where Jeremy Cosley, our audio engineer, helped us bring it all together. And you can actually download the score on Spotify and Apple Music and it's actually kind of fun to just like, if you're studying or reading or hungover, yeah (laughs) it's a really like (laughs) slow cinematic soothing kind of score you can listen to I was really inspired by movies like Amelie by your name and Black Swan thought like Perks of Being a Wallflower was also kind of like an inspo especially when it came to like featured music so like we have the score but then on top of that we were 
we were really excited to collaborate with six different artists to feature mm -hmm. their music on the score. So it, the musical journey of the film was like a really exciting like world and art project of its own. I would definitely say like coming out of it, like the music was almost like a mini project within this giant project. Was there anything that you wanted to add, Meredith? I know that like you had a lot at least to do with like inputting the music into the story after it was being done composed and yeah well I think you really explained that pretty eloquently it was a very cool process and it was weird I was kind of like kicked out of Chicago when this was happening because I really injured my foot which is just like the theme of my life <laughs> I was injured and actually I was back here in Vail Colorado recovering and um yeah I think it was a good test of of um, babysitters here, moms letting go. You know, it was definitely a moment of trust and it was weird and I felt isolated and I think that was a hard time, but it was just like the music is as important. I mean, it's so important to the story and the cut version always before you add music and color. I mean, it's like, ugh, it's almost hard to watch, but I think that the musicians were really excited. Like that was a blank canvas to them, but it was the hardest cut turnover I will say but the music I mean it just brought it to life and it was like one of the very last things we did with post-production and we got to hear some other voices like the musicians and a few other people kind of give their input on some of the sound mixing I feel like that was just a stressful part because we were like trying to finish and like we had a premiere in a month I mean it was like things really came together like very quickly like I, I truly think we like wrapped the cut we premiered Dave. like 48 hours before yeah. <laughs> we, wow it was yeah it was a little uh crazy but we could have gone at each stage for five times as long as we wanted to hmm. like it wouldn't get done then you know like we wanted to do this to do it to get it over to move on but <laughs> not to like get it over with but like you know, we wanted to accomplish it. So deadlines, yes, was very important process. And like, I think I'm still very stunned that the score was composed in a month. That's insane. It's, it's insane. And so I think that really is an ode to the musicians that were involved and creating choreography right before we were going to film. You know, it's a similar pressure of kind of relying on your improv skills and really listening and and having that dialogue with those instruments. But I will say like recording it at Mystery Street Recording Studio in Chicago was one of the most fun days oh. ever. Like on the top five moments, it was just so cool to be in a recording studio. And I got ill like the last day of recording, so ill. I like showed up after like a month, like a little over a month, like working on the score, creating the score, improving it. We like show up at the studio. I have like yellow fever. I like show <laughs> up like crippled. I'm like at the piano, like trying, like every time I finish a song, I like collapse on the couch. I was like, it was so, like everything felt so dramatic in the moment. There was another moment we were rushing to the Vail Film Festival and like the movie is exporting on Meredith's computer to send to the Vail Film Festival people. We're running through security. The security guard is like, you need to put the computer, you need to close the computer to put it through the security thing. And she's like, sir, I can't, I can't close the computer. The movie's exporting. Oh my God. In the Uber, like <laughs> both ways. It was so stressful. And then like, we had to figure out the challenge of like getting it on a Blu-ray, like <laughs> never freaking done that before. 
you know, and like the producers of the festival are waiting for this Blu-ray, like literally like we were, we arrive in Vail and I like finally figure it out. I check it. And as I push play, I get the call from the, you know, the main directors of the festival. Like, do you have it? I'm like, yes, I do. Mm. I've, I've got the Blu-ray. Like literally in the moment I push play, because <laughs> we had a lot of trouble like figuring that out too. Getting ready for our festival uh, premiere was really stressful because I think we we really didn't want to like anticipate that we were going to get in because it was yeah. a long shot. Getting into a festival is hard. And so I couldn't believe when we, we found out the news and uh, we had a lot of housekeeping to do to get ready for that moment it's just wild me that that all happened within a month like that you guys were able to do that because music is like basically a character and a film like it's so important it's like make or break katie i'm sorry i'm gonna bring up star wars here for a second guys you know i couldn't get through an episode without bringing it up but the music in star wars is like so it's so prevalent in such a huge part of the storytelling that without it like what what even is Star Wars then without it? But it's too, it's just, it's so, it's present, but it's not like distracting. It's just like so complimentary to everything. And I just, I can't believe that you guys did that in a month. And this film too, like feels like a, almost like a love story for the arts. It's like such a combination of so many art forms, like obviously language and like writing and dance and movement and like physical expression and then the music too it's I think the music is all the more important in this because of the dance Mm -hmm. and because there's a character who doesn't speak it's like it's speaking more if that makes sense totally it fills in the silence it was a bit untraditional that we composed music to choreography yeah choreographers thought, thought like listen to music and then choreograph to the music so if there's any like choreographers and musicians out there collaborating, like flipping the roles a little bit and creating the choreo first, and then almost like choreographing music to the choreography is kind of, um, it was definitely an experiment. We didn't know how it was gonna turn out, but it was actually like quite cool for the musicians to like see movement and then create musical representations of that movement that's wild I mean like and you there's no way just watching the film for you to know that like that's how the process went and it's super unconventional I mean I've never heard of that before but it almost is like fitting for this film for some reason um just like with expressing things in different ways and like Mm -hmm. finding ways to express yourself differently when there's like a barrier so it works I don't know yeah I did this exercise once in college we collaborated with the music conservatory and yeah we both came in prepped uh I would I say this because this might be a good exercise for people who are interested in this um we both groups were prepped with a song either that they already know and play together or dance that the dancers dance together basically we traded off so like the dancers would do a dance and the musicians improved to the dance that they were seeing and then it was flipped I don't know it's it's just you know it's it's a different form than kind of like putting the work in and perfecting it and then presenting it I think it just can show true um, artistry and even when we were like bringing on musicians we were very frank about this being an improvised kind of score mm-hmm. I wasn't like I'm not going to compose for cello our cellist composed their own cello line within 
something else. Like it, it, like we would watch scenes and like whoever like felt the impulse to start playing something would go and then we would all be able to then maybe compliment what that instrument wanted in that moment, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a woman there, Clarice, who was a part of it and she documented uh, like what they were doing. So the precious moments like caught on camera, you know, but in this case, she, she did a lot of the, the notation, which I think they were all very grateful for. Oh, so grateful because the, the score was born out of a lot of improv and in order for us to remember, because yeah. I mean, was was Clarice, like we would go into the studio and she would really helpfully remind us, like you came in two bars in, you came in here, this is what you did for the second time. And it's like, okay, great. I remember writing this, but I needed you to tell me because we just composed two hours of music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wild. But so necessary this is like not part of our plan to ask you guys but I'm just like I'm a aspiring filmmaker and just like listening to you guys talk about this process the thing running through my mind is like this sounds so hard like you know so many people being a part of this process and like I'm I'm just so, so lost like how how did you do this like how did you you had to pay people like they weren't volunteers, right? I think just anybody who's listening to this and who might be interested in breaking into this industry, this all seems so unattainable, but like you guys clearly did it. So like, it's a broad question, but like, mm-hmm. how did you do that? Like, how did you get these people to to do this? Well, how do you eat an elephant? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's totally that concept one bite at a time and like we both had to remind each other of that because Mm -hmm. it is so overwhelming there were so many moving parts and like it was hard because we had to think ahead but we also had to just like focus on the task at hand really prioritize what was important then you know because like when we were prepping this movie and and getting it to a schedule we definitely were not thinking about original score I don't think we even had the we didn't even say it yet, even though maybe we thought about it. Like we had to be very delicate on what we said. And we would both have to remind each other that we would get really excited and passionate. Mm-hmm. And that is a hundred percent necessary. Passion is the fuel. Mm-hmm. And like a writer wrote about us once and, and she put it like your passion was your ticket in. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Like don't come and collaborate with us if you don't have passion and um, a desire to learn more. Mm-hmm. So our definitely like first way we got people involved was uh, if we really needed something like, oh, we can't do this. Let's bring this person on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was out of the needs that Andrew and I couldn't really fill, I would say. We did not have a budget that could pay for everyone. Andrew and I haven't got a cent from this project. You know, like we're at, we're actually still, you know, personally investing um, into this into this endeavor but it's it's absolutely worth it and like I wouldn't want any money for this because you know only only a few people really did get paid and those are the people that like were full-time work you know like Mm -hmm. our designers like our first editor our sound designer um you know some stipends here and there for people of course you know making a film is a business as well and like the first question you ask is what is your business doing who is your community who is your audience and I think Meredith and I may have had this like idea to create something artistic. We were lucky enough to be part of an expansive community of artists 
And everyone was looking to build their resumes. Everyone was looking to build their portfolios. So we were like, this is the only time we can make our first film because everyone here would love to, would want to be a part of something like this. Mm -hmm. You know, like whether you're an actor who needs footage for their reel, whether you're an editor who needs their first showcase of their work. And so like when we sat down with people, you know, for anyone out there who's like really trying to produce their first film, really take a look at who's in your community and like who can play your roles. Like what, what can you start that you know that you'll have at least 60% of the people you need, you can text them or you, mm-hmm. can, you can start to put feelers out there mm-hmm. and don't do it alone. Meredith and I really like leaned on each other too. Like every time there was a moment where it was about to fail or we thought we were going crazy or we were up so late, like there was always like the other half of that producing leg. Like there was always one person that could jump into the driver's seat when the other person couldn't. We leaned on each other. We leaned on our community. We had an amazing group of friends who really believed in us. And like, as Meredith said, like when we would like sit down to hire people and a lot of our business team were interns. We partnered with six universities across the Chicagoland area and said we were looking for interns And then instead of calling them internships, we called them positions. So you could come and work for us for your spring semester and give you school credit. So though we couldn't pay you, you came on and did marketing for us for four months and then didn't have to take three credits that semester in your class. So like we really tried to utilize all of the different communities we could. And we told people like, if this isn't something like this is hard work. Mm -hmm. and you need passion and if this isn't something you can like jump into then like it may not be a good fit like we almost Mm -hmm. kind of scared people the first Mm -hmm. time but also but I also want to say I don't think it was always that I think like there was an element of you know like our producers hat going back to the changing hats we had to put on our hats and even if we were not feeling it like if I wanted to oh and Andrew you know like if we had tips we still were the duo and like, we still had to bring our A game and like, it kind of was a performance in a way. And like, anytime we sat down with someone new, you bet you we were like glowing with passion. Mm-hmm. Like we kind of had to, we had to excite them and believe that like, we are, our whole hearts are in this, like, please join us. It's mm-hmm. going to be fun. We'll get to all move forward stronger. And like, it's been honestly really like satisfying to like help people out with recommendations you know like putting good words in I've gotten a lot of people jobs which makes me feel super good and that's what it's about you know like Andrew and I came together and like the mission that we wanted to put forth was to raise artists up and I still believe that to be true in my life my life's mission right now as my producer's mission so yeah I think that was a good point Andrew that you brought up was like you know 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 what you're about like why are you guys getting together and yeah you just to like really collaborate on this like idea of shared vision was was very important you can just tell like between the two of you like one just how like well your dynamic works together which like in a partnership you need to have that like I know for Katie and I we've talked 
often that like being the two creative friends like kind of in our circle like it was just natural that we kind of decided to do this together but also just like she's one of the only people that I knew I could trust and rely on and like if Katie says that she's gonna do something like she's gonna do it if we need the episode out by Monday on Wednesday like I can trust that it's gonna be edited and done and in this like I can't imagine the stakes of like you two both needing to rely on each other and on those off days like you said Meredith if sometimes like one of you is having, you know, a bit of a moment or just not feeling it that day. Like you had to be able to trust that the other person could kind Mm -hmm. of like pick you up a bit and Mm -hmm. create that passion and excitement on set all the time. And that always helps too. Like when we're pitching someone or we're like, you know, there's, it's like the pitch feeling, whether it's, it's not really like pitching a new show or anything, but like we have to present ourselves professionally for the grant committee and for like the random person at um, uh, the the post house down in, I forget the, the area, Andrew, down where Camilla was. Oh, at Cinespace? At Cinespace, you know, someone reached out and wanted a meeting, you know, and like, like these meetings with some kind of, or like interviews on TV or anything, like mm-hmm. it, it definitely is nice to have a duo because like whenever we didn't know what to say or like we, we could, we're at the point where we could finish each other's sentences and that flows very well for the external view it, it, it's fun like film is mm-hmm. glamorous and <laughs> and we were able to like just get dressed up and like go to events and like network like anytime there was an event and we had the day off you bet your asses we showed up and just like told people about what we were doing and like we met a lot of friends and we got we made new connections that way because like I think if you're passionate about something you have to make the space to tell people you have to like walk in like you know what you're doing sometimes even if it's not mm-hmm. the truth I think that like you'll catch up with yourself but like yeah we had to fundraise I mean we applied for a grant Again, any indie filmmakers out there or people who want to really try this, like there are grants out there and like our grant was like 19 pages and it really outlined what we were doing. I think the applying for grants actually like really focuses your vision. Some of the financial calendars we made for the grant, we ended up using down the line. So like that yeah. Was- yeah, and it legitimized it. If we, I don't think it would be the same without that grant. So that's why we're so grateful is the uh, Performing Social Justice grant um, with the Chicago College of Performing Arts and truly getting that because that was early on, even before production. And it it just like legitimized us. Yeah, and like we had to like really zone in. Like it actually unified us as a partnership, I think, because we had to convince it on paper that we deserved this money. And then that helped, you know, later on with the crowdfunding. And I was in a nonprofit space a lot. I think Andrew too, but like I was learning how to fundraise and nonprofit work. And I've done a lot of nonprofit work. So I feel like I pulled that experience with trying to fund a film. But that that is the hardest thing about this business truly is like getting the funds to do it. Um because there's never enough except if you're in the studio business you know there you have plenty but it's possible it really is possible to do it on a low budget you just have to get crafty I guess and and just yeah again rely on your community writing a script and you've got a low budget like you can't have aliens land on a new planet well like what story are you writing what apartments do you have access to what city are you already in we tried to really like create something that was producible like almost impossible we knew 
if we challenged ourselves, it was possible. Back to kind of how we started this question, like I would have died in my overwhelm and anxiety if I had to take in all the details that we did. And sometimes I do, like sometimes I get so anxious for everything I've done or everything that I feel like I have to do. Like immersing yourself in the present moment, I think would be like important to remember because it is daunting to think about everything that has to go into a movie. Each step and each phase is so beautiful and so fun in its own way. And so it's almost, I mean, gosh, I hate how often I compare this to a child, but it's <laughs> so much like being a mother. You know, it's just like everything you have to think about doing right as a mother, mm -hmm. but really like just being present and learning as you go you know, made this possible. If you're like a young person or any person who wants to make film or like be involved in this industry, it feels, it can sometimes feel so unattainable because it is so glamorous. And it is like, when you think about it, it's like Hollywood and you have to write this amazing thing to like get your golden ticket in and you get this big break and then suddenly you're there. And like, that is just so not the truth at all. Like when you really understand it, like you don't even have to go to film school necessarily. And there's so like, if you watch until the end of a movie, all the jobs listed at the end of a movie, like there's ways for you to get in I think the coolest job would be like picking the music to be in a movie like I just feel like that would be so cool so I don't know I think if you're a young person interested in film listening to this like there are ways and you two are exemplary of that like it is possible if you're passionate about it like you have to do it yourself I mean I feel like everyone we have this idea of like making it Mm -hmm. instead of living it if you want to live your dream then you have to do it and live it and like in the beginning it's not easy but even if you're working with a million dollars or 20 million dollars it's still going to be hard work it's just going to be elevated you're just going to keep leveling up like if you keep waiting to work on something huge in hollywood then it's like how are you going to get there like what's the first step don't look yep. at 30 you know mm -hmm. right do you guys have any idea what the budget was i, I question back i couldn't i'm so interested like give a guess i don't even know what i i'm uneducated in this department i have no clue what oh, it's just like it cost. it's, hard, it's hard to know like what you already had too at your disposal like did you have because mm -hmm. like i said it's an amazing it looks amazing so like did you have that camera beforehand or did you have to like invest in a super nice camera so like i don't know i'm also somewhat stupid when it comes to money so <laughs> like you've worked on a film Andrew like you kind of know the same thing. well yeah i've worked like, on like it takes time it's, it takes time to like understand budgets and money and like clearly Andrew and I also like we're very naive like I swear uh, to you we didn't think we needed a budget like maybe like a little bit here and there like yeah <laughs> it still cracks me up on how naive that was but um no I just if you had to guess like obviously we had resources okay. uh, like a hundred thousand dollars okay and I'm either way <laughs> off because I was thinking like 30 <laughs> I have no clue what anything costs. Like thirty. Seriously, 000? any number. Okay, I'll go with I'll go low end then thirty thousand. Okay. You're much closer. Wow. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Oh my god, what I would give for a hundred grand. Right. What could have done with a hundred grand? Oh my god. I know. Well, I'm. That's just because I'm again like just thinking about all the people that you had working on this, but like what you said with 
people being willing to be a part of this for no money and mm-hmm. and again just the way it looks yeah. very and, well done so mm-hmm. I mean well that is absolutely a huge compliment and still in Hollywood a hundred thousand is micro budget film nice oh slow. yeah Anything under a million is a micro budget. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we pulled this together just over 20 grand. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's insane. We were, there was a moment when we were at the Bell Film Festival and we were like watching other, other films at the festival and they were doing a little talk back after one of the films and someone said, someone asked like, how did you pull this together with such a low budget of 350 grand? And Meredith and I in our seats, like we wish someone could have just like panned to our jaws. Like, <laughs> yeah, we were like, no way. Like they cannot sit here and say 350 grand is low, but it is like, it yeah. is. You talked a bit about locations and knowing like where you could shoot. Katie, you kind of wanted to talk about that a bit, didn't you? And like well, the flower shop. Yeah. What is this flower shop? Where is that? How did you, I mean, I know like a huge part of producing something is like location scouting, I guess, Andrew, did you like have these locations in mind when you were writing? How did like the flower shop? I'm just so intrigued. Like, what is that? (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's such a beautiful temple in the middle of the city. It's truly like located in in Lincoln Park, Old Town area. I remember going to this flower shop and I had because Andrew wrote in the flower shop and I know he did that because he knew it was producible. Like, yeah, there's a flower shop in the city. The only location actually I didn't, I knew we, that we didn't have a connection to actually. Okay. It was the one right. I, I was like, let's just find one because mm-hmm. everything else I kind of knew we'd be able to get. But still it was like feasible. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I, I saw this beautiful flower shop in Old Town, like let's go. And that was so fun, like location scouting. Cause it's like one of the first things you do. We were walking around and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. But there was a lot of people and we heard the stores hours and it was like basically 24 seven. I mean, basically they worked, they were open every single day. And so I was like, okay, this could maybe be a problem. Cause we would take away business and stuff like that. And then we were kind of in discussions with them and they're like, we actually have a coach house at a different location down the street, which might be even better for you guys. And that's just for prep for the flowers. Mm -hmm. And we walk in and it's like, oh, you brought us to a movie set. Mm -hmm. Like It's so beautiful. So beautiful. So we were so fortunate. Um, It's called A New Leaf in Chicago and able to use a lot of their arrangements just in the shots. Like, cause the coach house was very, it was a blank canvas. So we pulled in, bring flowers in there. And then the upstairs is just like this collection of beautiful antiques that I don't know really who designed that. And so we gave production design to a new leaf because like it just naturally came like that and you know we obviously like shifted it around but it was perfect because it was a coach house it wasn't like a store we had to like dodge customers that yeah that sounds so nice it was a special place for every single person involved and I think a special place for all the viewers to get to see yeah I was like how did they get that like that it's that's just so cool that that worked out like that mm-hmm. like now that I'm in Los Angeles I'm realizing it's so much harder to actually in, do indie filmmaking here yeah in Chicago it's exciting for someone to hear that someone's interested in filming in their local business excited for you and typically want to like make your experience nice and it's so funny because two of the locations including a new leaf and the artist cafe both closed like months 
after we were filming. Maybe like a new leaf was recently closed, but like it kind of feels special for us that we were like able to capture these iconic places in Chicago before like they're gone and they've both been around for so many years. So it's there's something kind of creepy with that too. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know whose choice or idea it was to put the chapters in there. But like as someone who just like eats, sleeps, breathes books that I liked that for like my mind to like follow that chronological order a bit. So what was the decision behind like breaking up the movie into the five chapters? I am a reader myself. Like I think most of my inspiration comes from books. And I think even some of the best movies are based off books. Mm -hmm. So why can't we just write movies like books? And I just like love when things are organized in that fashion. I think Meredith and I both wanted the film to have a storybook feel. And so I thought it would be fun. I thought it's like, I thought it was different. Like, I think it's nice to have things separated like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like when when you go to the theater and you get your playbill, you can like open up your playbill and see like typically a list of, you see act one and then like the scenes and the musical numbers, act two, scenes and the musical numbers. And like, obviously you can't do that for a film, but I thought like inserting sections would like help clarify the story. Mm-hmm. And it created a vernacular for us to know like where we were, like, oh, it's in chapter three. And it also helped, I think, post-production, just organization in general and just like getting through the trunks. Like even if you don't display, oh, this is chapter five, I think it's actually a very brilliant way to kind of set it up. And because movies are so big, like it's, it's a nice way to organize it. Can I ask you guys a question? Sure. Yeah. Who's the butterfly? Oh my gosh. We kind of talked about this last night when we were talking. Gosh, I don't know. Because you would think like Doran is the first answer. But I don't know. I feel like Doran, his mom and B are all like butterflies in their own way. (laughs) I don't know. It was like B, they were like, she decided that it was, or did she, te- was it in her text where she was like, it was just time to move on after she got yeah. out in LA. So like part of me would think that it would be her. And then she sent the butterfly emojis. But I feel like, is that too obvious? That- <laughs> Who is the butterfly or are you not at liberty to say? I'm not really at liberty to say, Okay, but I feel like you're on the right track. I feel like everyone is kind of their own butterfly. There's nothing about a caterpillar that indicates that it's going to be a butterfly. I always say we're constantly in full bloom. Like we never arrive at anything. We're just constantly who we're meant to be. And like a lot of people kind of, and me included, are like, once I do this, then I'll be this if that makes sense, or just like living life as there's like this non-existent point of arrival, but it's like, we are always, we have arrived already. So this movie definitely embodies that for sure. There is a promise that you're going, that you are going to, you know, like there is a promise that the caterpillar will become the butterfly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like so special that that's the title of the movie. Mm -hmm. You guys... I love, I'm so glad that we got to watch this movie and talk with you. It's such a special experience, like, to have this intimate conversation with the people behind a film. Well, it was an honor to talk to you guys already watching it. You know, I feel like we've talked to a lot of people that haven't watched it. We're like, you're going to love this movie. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, it is so refreshing to 
speak in detail of movie advocates that like pick up on everything. Like it's just, it's so heartwarming to know there's people out there that are like dissecting this movie. I remember Andrew once said like, oh man, I don't want to botch it. But like, I remember you alluding to, you're writing with like hopes that it would be analyzed like Mm. by writers or something. I think discussions from playwrights movies, it's just like, that's what it's about because there's a lot of intent put in behind all of this and like Andrew and I could talk hours because we've spent hours in the work and so it's just like honestly a treat. Thank you just for like your perspective and your attention to details like it's really an honor just to like chat about something that you know you devote your heart and soul to and then have people who analyze films actually like ask us questions about the whole process like the honor is ours. (laughs) we are all for creative collaboration popcorn chats is so lucky to have the two of you you guys have anything that you want to plug i mean we'll get your like social medias your website and put it in the description we'll put like i think we could probably do a amazon prime link even in there to the movie but like do you guys want to plug anything on this at all please go watch it on prime message us like tell us what you think of the movie yeah leave reviews, leave comments. Like Meredith and I are still going to be doing this and making more work and doing our own things and doing, so just like connect with us. Well, I will plug my favorite podcast called Just Shoot It since this is a movie podcast. And if you haven't heard, you probably will love it. It's it's a lot about directing and screenwriting and filmmaking in general. I've, t- I've learned so much from that podcast. So it's crazy to feel like I'm on one being, you know, being in this discussion with you guys. Thank you again. Yes, everyone listening, go stream The Promise of the Butterfly on Amazon Prime and follow Meredith and Andrew on all of their platforms. We'll link all of it in the description below in this episode. Make sure that you are following us on Spotify that way on your homepage every single Monday. You'll be notified of our new episodes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating and review. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe and hit the bell. So again, you're notified whenever our new episodes go up. And then as always, Katie and I's Instagram, Twitter, YouTubes, TikToks. Our Popcorn Chats TikTok is in the bio. And yeah, again, thank you, Andrew and Meredith for coming on. This was like the coolest episode. <laughs> Sorry, no, again, no shade, no tea, Delaney and Olivia, we love you. But this was just like a really, really fun and awesome discussion with both of you. Yes, thank you guys so much.